Hello, I am Marlon Diaz. And I'm Taylor Walker. And this is the Keeping It Local podcast. From the southernmost point of Florida. To the panhandle. We will be talking local politics as well as issues that affect everyday people. Taylor, are you ready for today's episode? Let's do it. Awesome. We'll be right back. And we're live. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us in today's episode. Taylor Walker, unfortunately, couldn't join us. Um, She is out on vacation. But I've got two great, great guests with me uh, on this episode. Joining us is my dear friend, Aaron Parnas, and my other dear friend, David Solacosta. David and Aaron, welcome to the Keeping It Local podcast. So good to be on here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, I'm excited. All right, well, let's get rolling with this. Aaron, how have you been? Been good. I've been good. Um, very busy lately, but been very good. Um, unfortunately, very disheartened with what we've seen um, from leadership on our state thus far um, in this in this year. But generally, just kind of hanging in there. What about you, David? Uh, I'm a bit more optimistic. I feel things are going well in the state of Florida. Um, the data backs it up. Population growth, strong economy. Florida is just the place people want to be at. So I kind of see those as the metrics of success. So a different take from Aaron. Well, it is definitely a different take. Um, And talking about Florida, in the new, in the newest, I guess you could say news, um, Andrew Gillum has been popping up in the news as of lately. Aaron, not to put you on the spot, would you want to walk us through that and what's going on with that as far as his campaign and uh, all these uh, charges that are being pressed towards a uh, former gubernatorial candidate for the state of Florida, Andrew Gillum? Yeah, sure. So uh, I believe it was yesterday or the day before yesterday, I think Andrew Gillum was indicted in the Northern District of Florida on 21 criminal charges, 19 relate to wire fraud charges, and then I believe two of them are false statements to the FBI, or maybe one false statement and 20 wire fraud charges. But anyways, they relate to um, a period between 2016 and 2019, where um, Gillum allegedly took bribes and took other gifts, um, and also actually passed through donations meant for his campaign for personal use, um, thereby lying to those who were making these investments into his campaign. Um, he now faces decades in federal prison. Um, he likely won't ever have to go to federal prison for, for decades, but that, that's what the guidelines are. Um, and honestly, I'm going to say this, like, I've been consistent in my position that Andrew Gillum is the reason Ron DeSantis has a shot at becoming president of the United States. Andrew Gillum gave us Ron DeSantis. Um, Gwen Graham was the right candidate in 2018 for Democrats. Unfortunately, we um, didn't elect her. And I thought that if had we elected Gwen Graham, she would have been governor today and DeSantis would have been out of office. Um, but it's just, it, it's very, it's very sad to see um, a rising star in the Democratic Party fall so hard like Andrew Gillum has. And I just, I, I pray for his family and I hope that his family will be okay through this because I, I personally know how difficult this is. Um, but um, I think it's time for us, for the Democratic Party and, and just politics in general to let Andrew Gillum's kind of spotlight wait and, and let him go off in, in, on his own. David? Yeah, no, I agree. 
Um, Gillum had his opportunity. It's really uh, just an unfortunate situation all around. You have to feel for him, for his family, for his avid supporters. Back in 2018, there really was a great hope in Gillum being a rising star in democratic politics. But I do feel that that chapter, especially after the events this week, has closed. And it's time for the Democrats in Florida to kind of find another rising star and kind of create a roster, a full bench of potential promising candidates for the entire state party, because I really don't see them in a strong place at this moment. Um, but maybe that's just my own personal opinion. <laughs> Aaron will probably disagree with that and probably say that the candidates for governor are strong, but I just don't see the Democratic Party really having that strong pulse or that strong energy to kind of be a true governing party in the state of Florida. So, yeah. I mean, I, I will say this. I will say that regardless of party politics, I think that we need to have faith in our leaders, whoever they are, Republican, Democrat, Independent. And I would much rather have a Republican as our governor than a Democrat who is indicted into his third year in office. Um, because at the end of the day, you, you need to have faith in government and you need to have in government and those in government need to have integrity. So I, I don't believe Gillum should have been our nominee in 2018, but I'd much rather him not have been indicted while he was in office, which is what would have happened had he been elected. Um, and to David's point, I mean, I, I do think that the Democratic Party has had a messaging problem. There's a reason we have not won in Florida in over 20 years. Um, it, we've also had a problem with grooming candidates um, and um, kind of creating that that slate of rising stars. I think we have plenty in Florida, I think. But many of our rising stars are on the state and local levels. We don't we don't have statewide. We have we only have one statewide Democrat. And it's because we just haven't been good at electing Democrats. So, yeah, I mean, David's right in a sense, but we do have a, we do have a slate of rising stars. They're just not well known. And they, they, we need to get them well known. So my question to to Aaron, to you, Aaron, is um, you say that clearly it was a mistake to have, obviously, for Andrew Gillum to have been the nominee in 2018. Um, why do you think folks on the left didn't vote for Gwen Graham? Wasn't she too not? So maybe she was right, left-leaning and not too radical for the base. What do you have to say about that? Well, I, I think first off, um, the I think the primary reason is really messaging. I mean, I think that Gwen Graham, for I think she's I think she's a great person, and I think she stands for a lot of great issues. Um, she's very she's not very controversial at all, right? Like she's super center of the road, mm -hmm. and being center of the road, being moderate, doesn't win you a primary, but it will win you a general. Um, and I think that was the biggest issue because in the primary, Andrew Gillum only had to get about thirty percent of the electorate to vote for him. He didn't need a majority. And he got his 30%. And I, I think Gwen Graham's folks were kind of hurt a little bit by the fact that there was about five candidates or six candidates in the primary splitting up this vote. So it was Andrew Gillum versus Gwen Graham head on. I think Gwen Graham would have pulled out that primary. Um, and I, I will say this. I think back in 2018, the electorate was so different than it is now in the sense of we wanted something different, right? We wanted a change maker in office because we saw what we were having with Donald Trump and Rick Scott. And we didn't want that. And that, that was a sentiment nationwide. So the, mo the person who promised to make the most change was the, 
was Andrew Young, was the person who was running the furthest left in the primary. Gwen Graham wasn't promising to uproot Florida and change it for the better. It was more going to be like moderate um, incremental steps that she was going to take. And that just didn't resonate in 2018. You would think that uh, being the granddaughter of Bob, uh, Governor Bob Graham, uh, Senator Bob Graham, um, that given his record um, and given his bipartisanship record um, in Congress, as well as um, working as a governor um, and delivering for the people of Florida, you would think that folks would vote for uh, Gwen Graham. But surprisingly, that was not the case. And I do know that from, from speaking to folks in, back in 2018, that it was high expectation that Gwen Graham would win. Um, oh, yeah, 100%. And next thing you know, uh, Andrew Gillum is the nominee. Um, but it brings me to this question, which is now we clearly have two folks on the Democratic side running for to become the next governor of the state of Florida, and that being uh, Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, as well as um, uh, former governor and congressman Charlie Crist. The polls indicate that Charlie Chris is the likely winner of this um, primary. Do you think um, that Florida Democrats are making a mistake in sending Charlie Crist to be their nominee for the third time? No. Um, well, first off, I want to say that I personally, between Charlie and Nikki, I haven't publicly said who I support. That's first off. Um, and, and I say that because I want to caveat in the event Charlie is our nominee. No, I don't think we'd be making a mistake because in 2020, we saw a similar sentiment nationwide, not in Florida. Um, and nationwide, Democrats could have elected Kamala Harris as our nominee. We could have elected Pete Buttigieg, um, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, a whole like slate of candidates who were that change maker, who was different, who were young, who were new in politics, who wanted this revolution, Right. We didn't. We elected Joe Biden, who's been in politics for longer than all three of us have been alive combined, probably, honestly. And we did that because we wanted someone to stabilize what was happening in the White House, what was happening in D.C. And in a lot of ways, he has come in and he has stabilized our country and our perception of, of the United States of America. I think that's what voters in, in Florida want right now. They see they see someone in our governor's mansion currently who's really moving the state further and further right. I mean, I personally believe that Florida is a purple state. It always has been and it always will be. And right now, Ron DeSantis isn't governing as a governor of a purple state. He's governing as a governor of the state of Mississippi, Alabama, uh, South Carolina, further right states. Um, So I think Democrats are very interested in electing someone who's going to stabilize that. Um, And that's someone like Charlie Crist. Um, Nikki Freed is running more to the left than Crist is. So we'll see. And like you said, the polls show that Chris is up big right now. And that's probably why, because he's kind of that Joe Biden-esque like, stabilizer in a way. David? I definitely feel that Charlie Chris is going to win the nomination. It's the name recognition. It's the core base of the Democratic Party, especially the ones who actually turn out to vote on primary day. They will be in for Charlie Chris. Um In terms of Aaron's comments of purple states, I do feel that Florida has become more red um, since DeSantis has entered office. And it has to do with a lot of things. I would say COVID has kind of been the main determinant of that um, progression towards the right. 
People value their freedom. They want limited intervention from governments. And Ron DeSantis has really been the champion of that and really just doing the complete opposite of whatever Fauci or Biden or Washington, D.C. has been mandating. (laughs) Ron DeSantis has chosen to do the exact opposite. And that's the greatness of our federal system is the competition among states and the different forms of governments and the laboratories of, of innovation throughout the entire country. And it's proving to be successful that the Florida model works. So we will see come November. I do think it's going to be a landslide win for Ron DeSantis. I feel he isn't running the state as though he is an aggressive right winger. He's running the state knowing he has the mandate from the voters. The polls show that he still has high approvals, even despite controversies in recent months, even despite the more Trumpian posturing, if you will. So we will see come November, but I do feel that there's election day every day, and that's with the actions that the American people are doing with their feet and with their pocketbooks. And they all seem to be coming to Florida, investing in Florida, relocating to Florida. So that also has to be recognized as just as important as the election results come November. So that's my view. I love how David goes, he's not governing as this far right governor, but he has this Trumpian um, way to him. It's the same thing. Trumpism and being Trumpian is far right. And I think that COVID aside, because we can agree to disagree on COVID, I actually agree that DeSantis did some good things when it came to COVID. And yeah, he was right in some cases. And he needs to be, and we need to acknowledge that he was right. Many Democrats do. Um, But setting COVID aside, we're now far past COVID. We're now in a situation where he has made Florida the epicenter for many cultural um, disputes and issues, um, whether it's the issues over um, LGBTQ rights or um, voting rights, uh, soon to be likely gun rights um, when he wants to pass um, open carry in Florida, or even banning abortion, which he'll likely try to do in a special session if Roe is overturned this summer. If that's what he's making Florida, that the fact that Florida was just a purple state two years ago and six years ago, um, that that hasn't changed that much recently. I mean, those voters didn't leave. The amount of people coming into Florida won't change that too radically. He's making Florida the epicenter of these culture wars, and he's going to pay for it at the polls, whether it's in 2022 or really in 2024 when he's up against some more moderate um, Republican candidates in the presidential nomination, because you all know that he's running for president, regardless of whether you're going to publicly agree to that or not. Well, I think that there will be a lot of folks running for president, um, not just on the Republican side, but also on the Democratic side. I mean, there's oh, that's a that's a, a recent, that's a controversial take, Marlon. Um, <laughs> I I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. But at keeping it local, we keep it local. So we will definitely have a all federal all issues um, segment once we get there at some point, and we'll have you on again to have that discussion. On to other issues that I think are. Are, are worth mentioning um, while we're talking about this. And then what, what David was saying is very true. There's a lot of businesses moving to South Florida and specifically um, from California and New York, um, which are coming to create jobs. Um, and I know that the mayor 
um, in the city of Miami, Francis Suarez has been uh, very involved in this process. And we hope to have him on at some point in the podcast to discuss his initiatives um, um, and what he's currently working on as the president of the Conference of Mayors in the United States. So we'll definitely um, look forward to that. But in Miami, as of recent, um, we learned that Miami Beach Commissioner Mark Samuelin has passed away. Um, I wanted to take your 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 take on on this issue, um, both you, Aaron, and David. Um, I have happened to know the commissioner. Um, I've communicated with him on several occasions um, in my times in Miami Beach, um, and I'm very shocked by the news. Want to get you want to get your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I was shocked. I was shocked as shocked as anyone. I I've had very limited communications with him just because I recently moved back to Florida only a couple years ago in the height of COVID. Um, but from what I understand and from what I knew, I mean, he was one of the best commissioners in Miami Beach. I mean, he was well liked and well respected on both sides of the aisle. He got things done for the beach and. Um, I, I honestly am just praying for his family and my condolences go out to his family um, in this difficult time because he, you, you rarely find politicians as well-liked as he was on both sides. So, You know, I couldn't agree more. He was pragmatic. He was bipartisan in nature. I will say that every time I sent an email or even a Twitter DM his way, they were always responded to within the day or even sooner than that. So that commitment to good and effective public service was prevalent in all the actions that he did as a commissioner. And so it's a tremendous loss for Miami Beach and for Miami-Dade County. He was really an exemplary figure in our local politics. And it's just, it's a, it's a shame. It's very disappointing, and my thoughts and condolences are obviously with his staff, with everyone who knew him in Miami Beach government, and of course with his family. So, absolutely. Um, and now the question becomes: as, as hard as it may seem, who will replace the commissioner? Um, we know, and I will bring this up so that you can take your, that you can give your take on this. Um, we know that Commissioner, well, Commissioner, then State Representative uh, Michael Grico is no longer seeking the office of State Senator. Um, he, in my opinion, is a potential candidate for this position um, and would be very fitting, in my very, my, my opinion. What do you want to take on that, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am personally a very big fan of Representative Grico, and I thought that he would have been a, a fantastic senator had he won or had he stayed in, in the race. Um, but no, I, I think he, if he wants this role, I think he'll be able to get it. I think he'll become the next commissioner. As and I always saw um, Representative Grico as the next mayor of Miami Beach in 2023. Um, so this could definitely be kind of the next logical progression for him to get there. So whether it's him or anyone else that's running, I will say, though, if he's not going to run, I think we need someone new, someone who hasn't been in politics. Um, because local politics, in a lot of ways, is a stepping stone. It's not meant for... Um, people who have been in politics their entire life to then go and run for a Miami Beach Commission race. It's it's meant for younger people. It's meant for people involved in the community who want to take on a little more responsibility. So I, I, if Representative Rico chooses not to run, I'd like to see someone new, someone different. What's interesting you say that because uh, up until when qualifying came to be um, last Friday, uh, 
commissioner, well, former commissioner of Miami Beach, Nikki, uh, Mickey Steinberg, mm-hmm. um, became the new county commissioner, um, replacing uh, outgoing commissioner Salih Heeman. I was surprised that she had no challenger, and and there was there was quite a rumor around town that uh, commissioner uh, Miami Beach commissioner Juliana Strout was going to run for that seat um, and challenge Mickey Steinberg, but clearly that was nowhere to to didn't happen. So clearly, um, what the Miami County has a brand new commissioner. Um, and we're going to dive right into those politics, which is on the county commission level. David, I know you've got plenty of insight about this. So tell us a little <laughs> bit of what's going on at the county level. What are your thoughts on some of the races? And we'll discuss those um, as we go. I know that obviously uh, Commissioner Steinberg um, does not have a race and was elected um, on a post. But there's some really hot races going on down for the county commission. So tell us a little bit more about those. David as the mayor's best friend. <laughs> I was going to actually start off with saying how great of a job Daniela Levine Cava was doing. Um, I really do feel that she is trying to bring the modern, fresh approaches to county government. There's lots of innovation happening, especially with resiliency efforts. Um, transportation efforts. She is really traveling all across the country, attending every lobbying opportunity and conference opportunity to just build those networks on behalf of Miami-Dade County. So Miami has really elevated itself as a legitimate world-class cosmopolitan hub because of everything that she's been doing at the county level. And with regards to the county commissioners, they... She's kind of been endorsing a slate of candidates that fall in line with her vision of Miami. I reside in District 8 with a relatively new commissioner, Daniel Cohen-Higgins, who has done phenomenally since starting office. So much so that she has a full slate of endorsements from every single leader, essentially, of Miami-Dade County. So that's what's been happening in my area. You're definitely seeing the campaign picking up. You're getting the mass text. You're seeing the yard signs and you're seeing the billboards and so forth. So there really is a momentum for DCH to win the seat outright. And we will see. Aaron? Yeah, no, I mean... I, I, I would say something about how good the mayor has done, but I think David <laughs> David died enough for everyone. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I think that it's been, I will say the county commission this year, the, the elections have been very interesting, especially in two commission seats, commission six, uh, seat six, and then in my seat where we have Commissioner Higgins currently um, representing us, who I think is, has done a fantastic job as well. But it's interesting because earlier this year, um, Commissioner Higgins decided to run for Congress. Commissioner Eileen Higgins. It gets confusing. (laughs) It could get confusing to people if you just say Higgins. Eileen decided to run for Congress against Maria Elvira. Um, And then David Richardson dropped his state house race on the beach to then run for um, Eileen Higgins' county commission seat. Then Eileen Higgins decided to no longer run for Congress because Annette Tadeo was running for Congress. So now David Richardson is without a seat. He's no longer running, which I find very interesting and unfortunate for David because I thought he would have been a great county commissioner. 
Um, but I think that um, Eileen Higgins is going to win this seat pretty handily. I think she's done a lot of good. Her constituent services are honestly some of the best on the commission, I think. She's always super responsive, always very present in the community, so super supportive of her. But I will say and the, the more interesting one is in commissioner uh, is commission seat six, um, the husband of Demi Busada, who's um, a current state rep, Kevin Cabrera, who is Donald Trump's, um, I believe he was he, he was his Florida lead, um, is now running for county commission and has been endorsed by several leading Republicans, including Donald Trump himself. The, only, the third endorsement Donald Trump's given out this campaign cycle. David? Um, I will say I am not familiar with any claims of Kevin Cabrera being associated with those right wing groups. Um, his wife is a polished, well experienced, well respected state legislator up in Tallahassee. Even as a freshman this past legislative, of legislative session, she was able to pass quite impactful bills and even the most comprehensive resiliency bill in the entire country. It was about $100 million for coastal resiliency infrastructure projects that she supported. And it was considered by the Washington Post and the New York Times as probably one of the most ambitious pieces of climate action that was even passed in the country in recent years. So that is my kind of perspective on Kevin and Demi. I do see them as polished, typical establishment Republican power players, if you will. I'm not too familiar with Kevin's personal politics or if he engages with the Proud Boys, not to my knowledge. That would, of course, be concerning if that was the case. But let's see. He's going to probably run a typical run-of-the-mill Republican candidacy for the seat. It'll be in favor of small businesses, low taxes, and kind of keeping government as small and as efficient as possible. So when it comes to the philosophical battles between the candidates, it's going to be the typical run-of-the-mill, which you would expect from a Republican versus a Democrat. I don't feel that any of his past alleged involvements would kind of interfere in that philosophical campaign debate that is to be had in District 6, but we will see. And I will say this, David, um, it's pretty telling that even you, David, who is a Republican, um, you spoke so highly about Demi Busada, um, a representative who I will agree has done some really good work, but you haven't mentioned the good work Kevin Cabrera has done. You just compared him to his wife um, because he hasn't done much work. He hasn't been in public office. And he, the only time he's been involved in politics is being Donald Trump's right-hand man in Florida. I do want to say, Aaron, um, I, I do believe that Kevin did serve as councilman for for some time um, in, in Kendall. So that I, I will say as far as public service goes, um, I, I, I will like to put that in the record um, that he did. He did serve as councilman um, for Kendall. Um, and uh, I but and into other issues when it comes to this race, the outgoing commissioner is not endorsing Kevin Cabrera. Right. She's endorsing Jorge Force, which is a commissioner for Coral Gables, um, also brings his own experience um, of local government into the county. So, and there's other folks also running for that race. Um, and we will, I think we shall see what happens. I think it's going to be a very interesting race. I think there's, um, there's definitely um, competition between uh, Kevin Cabrera and, uh, and Jorge Force. 
I, th- I, I think based on their presence on social media, based on the outreach that they're doing to the voters, I think that those are the go-getters for this race, um, yeah. in my view. Um, so we shall see what happens there. Um, yeah. And I will say anyone who is running that race needs, should have the temperament and um, the bipartisanship that outgoing Commissioner Sosa has had in her time on the commission. Because she, I think she's done... I don't agree with her on everything, but I think she's done a very good job as a commissioner. So I would hope that anyone who's replacing her, whether it's Cabrera or um, the candidate she endorsed, whoever it is, um, I hope that they continue for a legacy on the commission. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. In Miami-Dade County, our politics has to be community-focused, more bipartisan. That's really the success of Miami politics is there really is a sense of family and of community amongst all of the political leaders. And we really can't risk having someone kind of challenging that status quo that has been so beneficial to Miami politics, which is really just good camaraderie, respect amongst colleagues on the dais in the commission. And those have really been some of the foundational kind of ingredients that have led to the success of Miami. So that definitely has to continue. And for the seat, and it's interesting, you, I agree with what you're saying, David. Um, the other race also that's taking a lot of heat and a lot of attention in the media is the race for uh, outgoing commissioner and chairman, uh, Jose Pepe Diaz, the race. Um, there is... Um, there's a good number of folks also running in that race. Um, the two people that outstand are current mayor of Doral, uh, J.C. Bernudis, um, and uh, ex-commissioner for Sweetwater, Sofia Lacayo, who um, was had to resign from the Sweetwater Commission um, uh, because of um, a lot of issues and a lot of legal components um, that had uh, forced her to resign from the office. Um, so that's definitely a race that's also taking a lot of heat um, um, as obviously Sofia and Mayor Bermudez are very tough opponents and they're going to go and fight for this position as all the other candidates are. Um, and we shall see what the result is from this race. So we're going to go into this part, which I like. And this is part of our, 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 you know, part of our podcast, which is in which is we highlight local small businesses. So, Aaron, you got a small business you want to recommend to folks? Okay, David, you want to go? Yeah. Okay. What you're thinking? Okay. When it comes to small businesses, I always think of restaurants, especially how they were so negatively impacted by the COVID pandemic and really suffered a great deal recent years. But my go-to restaurant that I probably go at least once a week for good Spanish food is Los Gallegos. It's on Bird Road and 64th around there. And it's just a small business that's been running there for years. And it's family owned. It's a community institution. Every time you go, you could kind of see the familiar faces and just that sense of family and community anytime you enter a restaurant. And then there's good food <laughs> to just kind of put the cherry on top. It's it's a win-win. It's feels as good as when you enter like La Careta and Vitsayas. It just feels like home and comfortable. So yeah, that's my small business recommendation. 
Yeah, so my small business recommendation, I will go off of the restaurant vibe because I, I agree that we need to prop up, especially during COVID. I really like, first off, I'm a big fan of anything in the Grove. I think the Grove, the Grove is one of my favorite communities. Um, it's somewhere where I go all the time and it's right down the street from me. And a restaurant that I love in the Grove is Lulu in the Grove. Um, it's not a chain. It's a small, it's a small restaurant. Um, they've been impacted by COVID. And you should definitely check them out. I think they've been fantastic. And I will say, you should take a walk along the Commodore Trail, which is right next to that restaurant afterwards. It's the best. Um, we're doing a lot of, it's the best. It's a five-mile trail. We're revitalizing that trail right now. So um, definitely go check it out. And Lulu is located right across from Green Street, right? Yes, right near Green Street. Okay. Well, I'm going to take you from Coconut Grove all the way on the Bird Road to Miami's first ever croqueta bar which is called Do Croquetas. It's a great place to have some time, <laughs> to share some drinks, croquetas from all kinds. You're talking about your regular abuela ham croqueta to the mac and cheese croqueta to great drinks, great environment. And honestly, as you were both saying, these folks also went through a lot during the pandemic. Um, and now they're about to open their second location. And they are taking in recommendations as to where their second location should be. Um, please go and support them. Support these small businesses. They are the backbones of our community. And I'm not going to get tired of saying this every time we talk about this issue. Um, you know, small businesses are there to stay, um, and we should be we should be the, you know their number one supporter. Um, a lot of folks nowadays because of unfortunate situations or work schedules or whatever it may be, we end up getting takeout food and we go out to eat, to have a good time and de-stress and decompose and just, you know, have a good time. So definitely go out there and support our small businesses. Again, the backbone of our communities, let's not let them down. And with that, we have ended this episode. Thank you, Aaron and David for being here. We'll see you at the next episode. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks, Marlon. It's been great. All right, and we're off.